Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are. Once again, this is Judge Jim Gray in our great country. Just proud to be with you having this show all rise, the libertarian way with Judge Jim Gray, focusing on things that work, focusing on libertarian values. What are those? Well, responsibility, both social and financial, at all levels of society, individual, group, corporate, and certainly governmental, uh, as well as live and let live, uh, don't tread on anybody, roll up your sleeves and dig in and you will progress. Uh, Going back to the comment by Henry Ford, which was, and I think everybody should have this emblazoned on their psyche, anyone that feels they can thrive by relying on the government should talk to the American Indian. And I think that's pretty much all you can say. I was in the Peace Corps. I care about people. I want them to get better. I want them to progress and thrive. And the libertarian values are the way to do it. And talk about libertarian values today, my friends. We have a true American hero with us. It's a man named Kurt Schmoke. Kurt with a K. Schmoke, S-C-H-M-O-K-E, is the definition of a leader. Uh, He is well-educated. In fact, as I understand it, he went to Baltimore City High School, which is the third oldest high school in the United States, at least according to uh, the internet. And you know, of course, if it's on the internet, you know it's true. Uh, And it was the largest high school in Maryland at the time of his graduation, graduated from high school in 1967. And this fellow just excelled in both football and lacrosse. And as they say here, and this isn't an advertising that he wrote, but his speed of foot and his passing accuracy, wanting in the starting job on the junior varsity and later as the varsity quarterback. And then he led his team, the City Knights, to two undefeated season and successive, listen to this, Maryland Scholastic Association, a conference championship. So he's a scholar, he's an athlete. And then he was elected to president of the student of the school student government in his senior year. And while he was doing that, also worked in the Baltimore community with disadvantaged youth. I mean, this man, I, I'm, I don't use the word hero lightly. Then he actually was at when he was in Baltimore High School, was tutoring and mentoring young men of the inner cities. So he was playing quarterback, mentoring people. Then he went to college. Where did he go? Let's see, you may have heard of it. It's called Yale College. Began in fall of 1967, played quarterback on the freshman team that year, and then played in one of college's, and this is, I know, a sore point with him, but played in one of college football's most famous games, 1968. Harvard and Yale were unbeaten teams, and they battled to a 29-29 tie. I know that that bugs him ever since, but uh, he was then at that point, I believe he was a defensive back instead of quarterback, but uh, we'll just talk about that quickly. But my goodness, then he's the secretary uh, secretary of his class in 1971 and the head of the Black Student Alliance at Yale. So when there were some radical protesters going on, 
demanding suspension of classes, and bitterly divided faculty met to discuss strategy, they asked Kurt Schmoke, again as the secretary of the class, to represent the schools. And he came in according again to this, and, and Kurt, I'm taking some of your time, but I'm just so impressed. He spoke only a few sentences. I'll ask him if this was an accurate quote, but quote, the students on this campus are confused. They're frightened. They don't know what to think. You are older than we are and more experienced. We want guidance from you, moral leadership. On behalf of my fellow students, I beg you to give to it to us. He graduated from Yale, then was a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University and graduated from Harvard Law School. Hey, talk about the credentials, my goodness sakes. But it keeps going because he was selected to be on the White House domestic policy staff in 1977 with the Carter administration, worked with the Department of Transportation. And then he was assistant United States attorney, which is a position I held in Los Angeles. He was in, I believe, in Baltimore, 1978 to 1981. He, he challenged the incumbent Baltimore City Baltimore city mayor's, excuse me, attorney, state's attorney, and was wanted in a lad slide, and then was elected mayor of the city of Baltimore, November 3, 1987. I knew him first because he was one of the very first elected officials, if not the first, to come out publicly against our policy of drug prohibition. He was in favor of drug decriminalization. I heard him speak. I've been a fan of his for that reason and many others. Then he was in three terms in office, and uh, at, at that point, he had low-quality schools, drug addiction, and he really addressed these issues. He is a hero. He's also received from George H.W. Bush the National Literacy Award for his involvement in promoting adult literacy. I could go on and on. He's an advocate for the right thing. He is here with us today, Mayor Kurt Schmoke is now the president of Baltimore University, so I'm torn. Do I call you Mr. Mayor or Mr. President, or how about President Mayor? But at any rate, Kurt, thanks for being with us, and welcome to All Rise. Well, thank you, Your Honor. How about we just call myself Kurt? That's about it. No, I, I was that before all the other titles. <laughs> we'll go with Mr. Mayor. Okay. Yeah, sounds okay, good, Your so, Honor. So I've, I've given a that's probably the longest background I've given on our show here for one of my guests, but uh, fill in a few of the blanks, a little more background about former Baltimore mayor and now Baltimore University President uh, Kurt Schmoke. And as I, as I have on my notes here, the questions only get harder from here. Well, I do appreciate uh, some of the comments. Uh, in particular, uh, I, I was very fortunate to uh, attend Yale University, and it uh, provided me a, a number of opportunities. One of the things that I'm really uh, proudest of is the, the fact that there was a, a young man on, the, on that football team who uh, uh, was two years ahead of me, but he also was from Baltimore, and he was responsible for recruiting me to uh, to Yale. His name is Calvin Hill. And uh, uh, Calvin uh, went on to play for the uh, uh, Dallas Cowboys. And the younger generation knows his son, Grant Hill, was an outstanding basketball player. But I mention that uh, because while I was at uh, uh, Yale, 
one of the things that I and another a student did was to co-found a, a child care center that was going to uh, uh, p- provide for services for uh, dining hall workers, secretaries, and others. So it was uh, we wanted to name it after somebody who was respected both at the university and in the community. And Calvin Hill, then a major football player, uh, we asked if we could use his name and without you know, giving me a bunch of lawyers and all this sort of stuff and uh, talking about the long legal document. He said, sure. And we started it. It started in 1970, and it continues uh, in a converted firehouse in New Haven, the Calvin Hill Daycare Center and Kindergarten. And you can imagine uh, we're so uh, pleased that so many young people have been able to go through that. In fact, uh, we've had graduates that uh, have gone on to uh, attend Yale University and come back as teachers at the uh, daycare center. So, oh, wow. you know, I, I've really been uh, blessed as a you know at early age to get uh, a lot of opportunities presented my way, and the fact that we could at least uh, make a contribution that has had a lasting impact is something that I'm uh, really proud of. Well, Mr. Mayor, I, I learned in Peace Corps training that a program is only really successful if it will continue on without you. And so that yeah. means that since, what has it been, 50 years now that this this uh, child care center has been going on, and I doubt you've been sweeping the floor recently there, so it's going on without you. Thank you. And <laughs> of course, you make your own opportunities. You, you did this. Uh, I was captivated to learn while you were at Yale that you and some of your classmates started that daycare center for the the children of the university's janitors and cafeteria workers. Uh, that's just, I, I've never heard of such a thing. How did that come about? Uh, One of what, my what roommates to, uh, who actually uh, went on to become um, uh, a physician uh, himself living in uh, St. Louis. Well, he was, uh, um, his uh, job, uh, you know, like me, a scholarship student, we all had campus jobs, and his was in one of the dining halls at one of the residential colleges, and he came back to the room one day uh, telling me about a conversation that he overheard with some of the dining hall workers, and they were talking about uh, child care uh, issues. Um, the university at that time didn't provide uh, child care. Now it does. Um, but at that time it didn't. Uh, and look, we were just uh, young students who figured, you know, let, there's a problem, let's solve it. And uh, uh, fortunately, the president of the university at that time, uh, I'm not sure how much he really thought we could achieve, uh, but uh, we were able to get in, uh, in front of him and told him what we were planning to do. Uh, he said the university would match dollar for dollar whatever uh, we uh, raised uh, in, in uh, uh, furtherance of this uh, project. And we were very uh, lucky um, that uh, uh, we were able to identify an alum who actually was the um, a CEO of Creative Playthings. Uh, so we got a lot of donated uh, goods, and uh, the university matched this dollar for dollar, and the, t- the center took off. And now it's become very professional with, um, you know, great staff, uh, out the uh, sliding scale um, tuition. Uh, so it does meet the needs of a wide range of, of people. Uh, primarily now, as I understand it, it's uh, uh, secretarial staff or administrative assistants uh, more than anybody else that, that use it. But it's still going strong in New Haven, Connecticut. Mr. Mayor, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. 
I'm going to take you on with this. I'm going to ask you never again in your life to use the word lucky when it's involved with things that you're doing. Maybe fortunate because some some good things, but you make your own fortune. And so uh, there was nothing lucky about it. Maybe it was fortunate, but but again, very unusual, says a whole lot about the man. I, I'm going I, I mentioned this in the introduction, and I'm not going to dwell on it because I know it still stings, but uh, you were involved in that, in that game. Uh, you ended up being a defensive back instead of a quarterback, but uh, right. uh, I, I, I assume that uh, you still get contacted. People talk to you about that. Uh, is it uh, still, still on your mind? Yeah, it, it is. Well, one of the uh, uh, mistakes, career mistakes that I made uh, uh, in college was uh, I went to uh, see the coach, uh, Yale coach, uh, Carmen Coza, who was just an outstanding man who really believed in scholar-athletes. Um, and I told him that I, I didn't think that I could uh, both have uh, you know outstanding grades and be a quarterback. He, he disagreed. I said, no, I'd rather play a defensive uh, back. So he yielded, but he said that I would regret it. And, of course, he was right. <laughs> but uh, uh, in any event, uh, in uh, 1968, uh, I was playing varsity football, but as a, a defensive back, and we went into uh, the stadium up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, we were actually uh, leading uh, in in that game, and uh, but the uh, the football gods decided they uh, wanted to make it a little bit interesting, and with uh, just a, a l- less than a minute to go in the game, we were ahead uh, by 16 points. Um, but uh, uh, as it ended up at the end of that game. It was twenty nine twenty nine, and uh, the next day, the well that evening, the Harvard newspaper uh, known as the Crimson ran the headline: uh, "Harvard beats Yale twenty nine twenty nine. So it was it was simply one of those terrible moments. You know, you just watch these things happen. Uh, a couple of onside kicks and a bunch of penalties uh, led to. 16 points being uh, scored in uh, about 42 42 football seconds um but yes uh, it's it's one of those things that that kind of stings and uh but uh you have to have a smile about it that we're able to participate in something memorable well, you didn't die, but it, it is a comment about life happens, isn't it? And, and in a blink you of an eye, uh, thing, things can happen, of course. And, and, and some my celebrate, some don't. Let me, let me ask you, because I've taken the position. Yeah. I went to UCLA. It's my, it's my team. I don't think that UCLA or any university should give sports scholarships. I personally think that the, the position to take up at a school of higher learning, you should be there because you want to learn instead of become a professional athlete or otherwise. So you can give out scholastic scholarships. I'm not, I believe that the Ivy League schools did not give out sports scholarships, but only scholastic. That might decrease the 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 ability by a lot of the star power, but you'd still be competitive. But but did. Yale, did Harvard give out sports scholarships when you were there, or were they just they, scholastic? Just scholastic. They they did not give out um, uh, athletic scholarships, nor did we have uh, special dormitories or any kind of uh, particular uh, privilege. And in order to keep your um, the scholarship that you had, uh, most of them were based on um, 
uh, financial need, uh, you did not have to continue playing. So uh, my junior year, I, I did not play. I got injured, and I didn't play, and then I came back. Uh, to to uh, uh, play uh, later on, and uh, I did play lacrosse, however, but I did not lose scholarship because of the fact that uh, you know I came there um, and, and and decided to switch uh, you know my interest in in competitive sport. Well, I think that your your Ivy League schools are head and shoulders above the other colleges, universities around the country, at least with regard to that. You you might think you're head and shoulders above us and everything else, too, but at least I'll, I'll acknowledge that one. But I, I got to <laughs> tell you, Mr. Mayor, you, you you were and are a hero of mine. That, that uh, I first heard about you. You were the mayor of Baltimore, uh, an elected position last time I looked, and of course took a true libertarian position of coming out publicly against our nation's drug policy. Kind of walk us through that. Uh, how did you reach that conclusion, uh, and, right. and why did you decide to take the position that you did? Because you'll always be a hero to me for it. Well, as you know, Jim, I was pleased to be able to support uh, your book um, on on that subject. Uh-huh. I thought you were right at the time, and uh, I think uh, the so many elected officials around the country now have begun to see that uh, uh, you know we we ought to have a war on drugs, but it ought to be a public health war, not a criminal justice war, and uh, that um, uh, we weren't going to be able to prosecute our way out of uh, this this problem. But uh, I had been. And first an appointed uh, federal prosecutor, an assistant United States attorney, and then an elected prosecutor, the state's attorney, or I guess it's DA, district attorney in other cities. Um, but uh, I, during that time, I, I recognized that um, and, and just uh, using the, the police and prosecutors, um, uh, that uh, it was just a churn that, that uh, we were going after uh, one drug dealer and we'd get him off the street, another one would come in, and because the whole thing was profitable uh, because of prohibition. Uh, it was the, the, the structure the, um, that we had, as a country, had uh, created, and it was looked so much like our attempt in the 20, 1920s um, to become an alcohol-free America by prosecuting the uh, 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 consumption and distribution of, of alcohol. So there were so many uh, analogies uh, there that, uh, you know, I started to, to think about that, uh, and it particularly struck me when a good friend of mine who was an undercover uh, police officer uh, was shot and killed by um, a, 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 a drug dealer, and uh, he was wearing a body wire. Uh, uh, Detective Marty Ward was wearing a body wire at the time, and so I, I had to listen uh, to the whole struggle and, and the, the shooting, oh. the, the death of Marty. And, and it just it was so clear to me that the guy who shot him was not hooked on drugs, but he was hooked on drug money. And if we could take the profit out of distributing drugs, uh, that that would uh, move us in the right direction. And so it was things of that nature, particularly Marty's death, that got me uh, reading uh, more, looking at uh, other countries uh, that were approaching uh, the problem in a, a different fashion. And uh, as you know, I, I went to a, 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 co- a meeting of uh, uh, big city police chiefs and mayors uh, together, and I just raised the question of whether we ought to consider or debate the proposition of decriminalizing uh, uh, drugs. Uh, that uh, 
speech uh, I made was in Washington, D.C., about 40 miles away from Baltimore. By the time I got back to my office, the Associated Press was running a, uh, a story, a headline, the mayor of Baltimore proposes legalizing drugs. Uh, so it was uh, uh, all of a sudden I'm into it. I was into a debate and uh, uh, trying to get people to understand uh, that um, it wasn't an either-or proposition, but clearly the way in which we were going as a country was doing more harm than good, and we ought to look at a, a very a different approach. And uh, your ideas and, and those of, of uh, many others that talked about a whole uh, different uh, uh, approach uh, seem to uh, uh, make more sense. And it's taken a while, and um, but I do think more and more people in the country recognize uh, that this is uh, uh, more of a, a health uh, issue than a crime issue, and, and, and we should try to treat it in that way. Of course. When was this that you gave that speech, that debate, Mayor? Oh, gosh, it was 1988, Jim. <laughs> Can <Yeah>. you imagine? <laughs> See, you, I, I didn't hold my press conference as a judge until 1992. You were, you were one, one of the first that got my attention. I wasn't aware it was four years before, but, but you're, you're right. As I say, it makes as much sense to me to put that gifted actor Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his heroin problem. And he's making good movies, and but he'll, he has to be careful to always have that craving. But it makes as much sense to put him in jail for his heroin problem as it would have Betty Ford in jail for her alcohol problem. It really is the same thing. And of course, Betty Ford was Gerald Ford's wife and a self-acknowledged alcoholic. But it's a medical issue. Bring them closer to medical professionals that can help them instead of making them automatic criminals and pushing them farther away. But, and I'm sure Mr. Prosecutor, Mr. Mayor, uh, Mr. President, you would agree with this. If Robert Downey Jr., Betty Ford, you or I drive a motor vehicle impaired by, you name it, heroin, marijuana, alcohol, whatever, that's a crime because now we're putting other people's safety at risk. But, but That's uh, correct. as my libertarian view, too, it makes as much sense for the government to control what I as an adult put into my body as it does what I put into my mind. It's really none of their business. So you, right. I don't and, know. And, and, and it was always difficult, at least initially, for me uh, to make uh, that distinction, you know, because uh, I remember... Uh, uh, talking to, you know, various TV shows that I was on uh, that, uh, you know, there were more people who were dying uh, from ingesting um, uh, tobacco uh, than were dying from ingesting marijuana. Uh, this is, you know, back in the 1980s, 1990s. Sure. And, um, but immediately uh, someone would stand up and say, oh, my, my daughter was killed by a guy uh, who was driving uh, under the influence. And I said, well, wait a minute, that's a, very, it's a, a different uh, issue, and it was hard to distinguish, uh, at least initially. And I, I just learned um, through that whole process that language is very, very important in public policy uh, debates um, and uh, trying to be as clear as, as possible um, uh, is so vitally important if you want to make change in policy. Well, and of course, and I would ask people routinely, uh, do you want to legalize marijuana? And by the way, I don't want to do that because you think mm-hmm. legalize, think aspirin. You know, there's no age restrictions, advertising restrictions, etc. You want to legalize yeah. marijuana? That is the connotation that, oh, you don't care if my 12-year-old daughter smokes marijuana. Correct. No, I don't want to. Yeah. Oh, of course not. Would you like to regulate marijuana like wine? Sure. 
you know, and yeah. It, yeah. it is language. It, it does matter. So, so thank it, you. I, I, um, yeah, I, at that point, you know, I got invited to a number of different forums uh, after that 1988 yes. speech. And what uh, I ended up doing was similar to what you're, you're suggesting about asking questions first. I would basically ask uh, skeptical audiences uh, three questions. Uh, first, do you think that we have won the war on drugs? Uh, second, do you think that we're winning uh, the war on drugs? Third, do you think that doing the same thing for the next decade will win the war on drugs? And I said, if you can't answer yes to any of those questions, would you consider, would you be open to consider some alternatives? And usually uh, people would say, no, we haven't won. No, we're not winning. No, doing the same thing uh, won't win. Let's talk. And that uh, really uh, helped a great deal. And that's why I ended up uh, getting reelected twice, even though my opponents uh, ran, uh, you know, on uh, some very kind of demagoguery uh, issues, you know, that I wanted to give drugs to children and all that kind of uh, nonsense, uh, which is not correct. But the public began to understand that even if they weren't in favor of my ultimate solutions, they gave me some respect for not changing uh, my point of view and for opening up some dialogue on alternatives. Mr. Mayor, I don't call you my hero just lightly. Uh, you've shown that that fortitude. You've shown that integrity. You've certainly shown yourself to be an agent for change and positive change. Uh, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit because you have a special assistant when I was contacting you to to uh, do this show with me. Uh, so she's a special assistant to you as the president of the University of Baltimore. And she says, because I said he's my hero, and her response was, quote, yes, he is a great man. We've been working together for 37 years. The journey has been amazing, and I've learned so much. He remains humble throughout. She said more as well, but but uh, a true hero, and I do not use that term lightly. It's a four-letter word I really don't use very often. But but we only have about a minute before our break. But but can can you tell me we haven't yet understood as a nation that uh, our drug policy is not working? Why I was convinced when I came out in 1992, I told anyone that would listen that uh, by the year 2000, we'll have a materially different drug policy. Let me have you ponder that for a minute while we go on this break. We'll come back, but that will be my first question to you. Why has it taken so long? This is Kurt Schmoke, one of the heroes of my life, our lives, uh, and he is our esteemed guest. We'll be back to talk with Mayor President Schmoke after these words. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States. And we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today 
to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We are Americans You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back to you, our audience here on All Rise. It's just a pleasure to be able to share thoughts with you. And welcome back to our esteemed heroic guest, Kurt Schmoke, a former mayor of Baltimore, a former quarterback at Yale University, uh, and now the president of Baltimore University, a true hero, a self-made man. But before we come back to this, uh, I've been asked by my wife, uh, kind of, to throw a little, inject a little intentional humor, and I've really kind of gotten into uh, uh, that sort of thing. Lexophiles, but now I actually heard I was flying on Southwest Airlines, and uh, we hit the ground pretty hard, and so a stewardess came on the microphone and said, well, I know that we hit the hit the hit it pretty hard landing there, but I, I want you quickly to know that that was not the crew's fault, and it was not the plane's fault, it was the ass fault. I always thought that was kind of clever. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so you gotta gotta use a little humor in this world, and that was, as we call it, Mayor, the obligatory chuckle from my guests. Well, I always enjoy flying to... southwest because of that. They they usually bring a smile to your face for yeah, they, they one thing do. or another. So I, I left you mulling over, and hopefully our audience as well. Uh, I came out publicly after you did. You were 1988. Uh, I was 1992. Guaranteeing anyone that would listen that we as a country would have a materially different drug policy by the year 2000. Boy, was I wrong. I mean, now it's 2020, and in many ways, we're, we're doing it worse now than we were before. All of these presidential candidates, you know, have said, oh, we're going to, the war on drugs isn't working, and they're running in office. And then Obama said that, Trump said that, others said that. Then when they get in there, nothing happens. Why? What? Why are we still doing this failed policy? Do you have any guidance or insights at all, Mr. President Schmoke? Well, uh, I, I think there there have been some uh, more positive changes, but uh, you're right. It, it's it's difficult to completely end it. I mean, as we know, uh, for example. Um, the Treasury Department has an agency called ATF, uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and you know ATF well, was created uh, to lead the war against pro- uh, alcohol. It was uh, it was a prohibition era uh, agency, and yet it, it found a way to, to morph into uh, some other things in order to to stay alive. So uh, ending a a federal program is not the easiest thing in the world. But on the other hand, just think back to 1992. We didn't have uh, a drug courts. We didn't uh, have uh, as much uh, in, uh, investment in, um, uh, uh, in, in, in in people going to treatment. 
um, as opposed to uh, a prison. We didn't have a, an, as many alternatives. It didn't have the language uh, by many local elected officials um, talking about uh, uh, public health approaches that we do and things like needle exchange. I mean, when we started that, our program in 1994, we were the only city in the country uh, to to do that in order to help uh, combat the spread of AIDS. Now more cities uh, are doing that. So there have been uh, some changes, but it's a tough infrastructure. You've got uh, a whole uh, prison complex that uh, uh, lives off of uh, having these people incarcerated uh, and and many strong lobbyists. But, um, you know, I think uh, with the, as many voices being lifted uh, in favor of change, that it'll, it'll come about. I often try to um, console myself by reminding, uh, there's old saying my grandmother used to uh, use, she would say that by the yard, life is hard, but by the inch, life's a cinch. And so ah. if we figure that we're, we're going to inch along towards some progress, that maybe we'll get to the point that you and I would like to see um, in the next few years. Well, you've touched on, of course, again, numbers of things that the United States of America today has about 5% of the world's population and 25% of its prisoners, much of which is caused, of course, by the drug prohibition, but also these what I call mindless, and you're a former prosecutor, but mindlessly punitive laws, the enhancements and the rest. Uh, And if you get into this, and I'm going to lead into really one of the truly most important issues from my standpoint, which is school choice. But if you wander through most of our nation's prisons, you'll find that about, I don't know what, 70% of them are probably functionally illiterate. Uh, They didn't get any schooling. So, So schooling, we have so many schools, I call them government schools, Mayor, that are failing our children. And why? Well, you know, because we have teachers unions and you I'm sure you countered a lot of them and and they make it so difficult to fire teachers that can't teach teachers that that you do not want in the classroom. I think New York City is is a big example that they last year spent something like 15 million dollars of school district funds to pay teachers not to teach that they couldn't fire them. So they'd put them off into a gymnasium someplace and they'd play cards or read books or whatever. But but. Do you agree with me, I believe, that school choice is a really important function? If that's true, tell us. And how did you come to that point of view, Mayor Schmoke? Right. Well, uh, one of the things um, uh, when I was um, a state's attorney and also an assistant U.S. attorney, uh, I saw the, the people coming through um, our system uh, generally were uh, both low income and low educated uh, or poorly educated uh, uh, people, uh, particularly as, as the, the state's attorney. I just didn't see a lot of college educated folks uh, coming through um, uh, those those courts, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to run for for mayor. That um, in Baltimore, uh, at least uh, up until 1998, the uh, uh, the school system actually reported the, the the superintendent was a member of the mayor's cabinet support, and the system reported uh, uh, through uh, um, the uh, city hall. So, uh, as a mayor, you could have a lot of impact on public uh, education. Uh, but as I uh, worked uh, with the school system over those twelve years that I was mayor, I became more and more convinced that a key component to any success for children was to give parents the choice of where 
they wanted to send uh, their children to school, and it wasn't just choice within the public system. I felt that uh, uh, government, if government was going to provide uh, resources for education, uh, that we should do at the elementary and secondary level what we were doing at higher education and, and offer something like a GI Bill uh, for uh, uh, elementary and secondary education, which would give parents the equivalent of a voucher or a certificate and let them, along with their children, decide, do I want to use this certificate for uh, public School 101 or for Our Lady of uh, the Lords or something like that, you know, uh, they, they, but give them the choice based on uh, parents' view of the needs of, of their, their children. I still believe that. I think that competition is good, uh, and uh, uh, you probably know that we did an experiment while I was uh, mayor. Um, we had a, a private um, uh, organization uh, come in, and uh, we contracted out the six of our schools um, to this private organization, and then there's another six that the uh, public system decided to use as a comparison uh, to see whether uh, uh, allowing parental choice was going to make uh, a, a difference. Um, and it, it showed that there was some uh, a difference. The problem is that we did have uh, interference by uh, some in teachers' organizations that were not pleased uh, with uh, that uh, experiment. But the bottom line uh, for most parents who were watching it was that they would like to have the choice if they could uh, – if they wanted to send their kids publicly, they could. If they wanted to send them private or parochial, uh, they should be able to. But that has never moved uh, very far because of, uh, of, of politics generally. Oh, but I, I still favor uh, parental choice because I think that that is really uh, the best way to go to improve the quality of education for our, our young people. Well, I use the word empower parents to choose where their government money would be spent for the education of their children. And then like you, I'll ask questions. Who's in a better position to decide where and how a child should be educated, the child's parents or the government? And never have I had anyone say, well, it's the government. So, so you empower yeah. and then they will choose excellence. And, and all the studies show that I have seen, Mayor, that, that if you provide excellence in schools to children of whatever economic level or whatever background, they're all going to thrive. But if they don't get that, they'll never reach their potential, and then they end up in prison or, or, or otherwise. Yeah. So, Well, we also, are, uh, uh, Judge, we, saw, we did a survey of our teachers, and uh, those with school-aged children, 70% of the teachers uh, in public school sent their kids to private school. So, <laughs> What a coincidence. We, we, yeah, so we basically we just said, wait a minute, why don't we allow parents the same choice that you have? And um, it was, you know, hard to, for people to respond to that, but um, the the political inertia uh, of that is is very difficult to um, to to change. But um, and we also saw that when. Uh, people wanted to fight against uh, choice. They would put on uh, ballot questions: uh, Are you for or against vouchers? And and vouchers always were kind of a politically charged uh, word. Uh, and often uh, uh, the referendum would lose if you asked just the voucher question. But if you said 
choice, parental choice, uh, that always was a winner. Um, yeah. So, you know, it gets down to, you know, language again and politics. Words matter. Well, certainly. But, but okay. So I, I think I, I know and I think our audience knows the answer to this question. But uh, what are your views, uh, Mayor Schmoke, with regard to public employees unions, which would include police unions, which is fortunately at least being more addressed today, and also teachers unions. But, but uh, And also understanding that even Franklin Roosevelt, who was a liberal fellow, was not in favor of public employees unions because of the reasons you're talking about. But what are your views about public employees unions? today in our country, Mayor Schmo. Well, it, it, you know, it's, again, uh, for me, it's not a, a clear yes or no, either or. I recognize, let, let me focus on teachers for a minute, because uh, uh, members of my family were, were teachers, and I know just the, the history uh, that, that teachers, particularly because there was overwhelmingly female profession, uh, that they had some very, very difficult times back uh, in the early part of, of the 20th century. I mean, there were some uh, just real evils uh, imposed on, on teachers, which allowed uh, for these unions to be created. My problem with them is that I think that the scale just went way too far on the other side. And I tried my best. Uh, we had the uh, not an not a National Education Association union, but an American Federation of Teachers union. I, I, I worked very hard with the uh, AFT to try to get balance, to get them focused on just education issues, not political issues, and also not the protection of incompetence. Uh, that was just um, what was hurting them with uh, the, the public, uh, and uh, that uh, they had gone way too far uh, in terms of trying to protect themselves from the arbitrariness that they had faced uh, in the early part of the century. So I, I just think it's out of balance in many uh, places, and it needs to be corrected. Similarly with um, uh, the police, uh, now we, we have in our state a law enforcement officer's uh, bill of, of rights that um, has come under great uh, scrutiny, and I urged urged our police department uh, union when I was a mayor not to get involved in politics, not to endorse candidates, but to focus in on working with the community on the best strategies uh, for uh, public safety. Unfortunately, uh, oftentimes they, they did not do that, um, and they became a, a political force and uh, viewed as reactionary. Um, and so uh, it's a question of, of balance. If they were just involved as partners in, 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 in policy progress, I wouldn't have a problem. Right now, I think that they've got, it's out of kilter and have gone too far in the wrong direction. We'll try to, to turn that around. But if you take it back to teachers again, you know, the good teachers will thrive under your school choice, under competition, because they'll be in demand and they'll be paid accordingly. And if your school district isn't paying this teacher well enough, I'm going to lure that teacher over to mine and with enticements of higher pay. So it just, oh, absolutely. It just works. People want to teach. They want to teach. I mean, that, uh, uh, that's correct. And I, I do believe that uh, they would in, in, enjoy uh that, and uh, I wish uh, that our state would undertake uh, that, that that experiment, uh, give it a good 10-year run and see how it works, but uh, just hadn't happened yet. 
now the word just has not gotten out there. Of course, you're talking huge amounts of money and, and uh, power. But I recently wrote an op-ed piece entitled An Open Letter to the ACLU, NAACP, and MALDEF. And it basically... No, not basically. It did criticize those groups for not representing their constituents whose government schools were failing their children. Because as we were saying, most of the failing schools are in the lower economic areas and unfortunately in many ways inhabited by, by minorities. So, so I somehow couldn't get that published in the New York Times. Uh, not a surprise. I couldn't get it in the Los Angeles Times either, I, in my view, because the teachers unions have so much power. But, but uh, why is it in the in the minority communities that you're aware of, are they beginning to understand the whole idea of empowerment of parents to choose where their money would be spent? Are we are we making progress there? Because I certainly hope so. Well, the only place that I know I can point to that uh, where you have seen parents uh, really praise choice uh, was in New Orleans, and you remember in New Orleans they had. Uh, after Katrina, uh, an, an opportunity to start over in a lot of, of different uh, policy areas, and they decided to implement um, uh, parental empowerment, as you called it, the school choice uh, there. And uh, although I haven't seen all the literature uh, there, uh, what I have seen is um, uh, a very um, uh, improved uh, performance by uh, children uh, and uh, parents really embracing uh, choice and uh, not wanting to go back to the uh, old system. So sure. if uh, other cities, if that continues uh, and other cities uh, take a, a closer uh, look at that, uh, we may see um, uh, more movement towards the ch uh, uh, parental choice um, uh, method. I, I hope so. Actually, uh, you may know I ran as a libertarian for vice president mm -hmm. in 2012, along with Governor Gary Johnson from New Mexico. And I found myself in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was going through this, talking about school choice. And people started kind of wagging their fingers at me, saying, "Well, well, wait a minute, Judge Gray. No, we don't. We don't have those problems. We've had school choice in Milwaukee for like the last six or seven years. We don't have any bad schools anymore. So you can add to your list not only New Orleans but Milwaukee, numbers of places in." Indiana, as I understand it, yeah. Florida. We're making progress, but it's a huge issue that we really need to uh, to get to. Well, we're, we don't have. Yeah, if I recall, if I recall, that it was the superintendent in Milwaukee who was a real proponent of that. Uh, yes, African American uh, superintendent. I don't remember his name now, but I, I thought that this Milwaukee had a, an advocate. I didn't know they actually implemented some of his ideas. That, but that's good to hear. It is it is a remarkable thing and, and critically important. Again, I think one of the most important issues facing our country today, because it's simply wrong to deprive yeah. somebody of an of an education, uh, of a quality education, and again, the parents can choose. And you know, they could have a vocational school for that standpoint. And as far as the objection that oh no, it's a separation of church and state, that's already been decided because you get the GI benefits. You're in the yeah. military. You can then I could go to Notre Dame. I could go to Sisters of Mercy. As far as that's concerned, uh, even even Yale if I could get in. But uh, <laughs> you know, we, we just we, that 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 is a false choice. So you are now the president of the University of Baltimore. Uh, tell us what it's like to be the president of such a fine educational institution. 
Well, I'm, I'm very uh, pleased to have this uh, opportunity. Uh, the University of Baltimore is one of the 12 institutions in our state system. We have a uh, College Park is, is our flagship uh, of school, uh, but the University of Baltimore was started back in 1925 to provide education opportunities for working adults. So we've always been uh, much more career-oriented than some other institutions of higher education. We've got four schools, uh, law, uh, business, College of Public Affairs, and College of Arts and Sciences. And so we're relatively small uh, uh, right now, about 4,500 uh, uh, students, um, and we're a commuter uh, uh, university. Uh, so we um, uh, promote a lot of uh, interdisciplinary uh, uh, programs. As I said, we're the only uh, institution in the state system that has a law school and an undergraduate program on the same campus. So there's a lot of interaction among the various uh, schools. And uh, I guess over the past four uh, months, so I've been dealing with the ch uh, challenges of uh, what we do regarding uh, the coronavirus. But um, fortunately for us, uh, even before COVID-19, uh, about half of our academic credits were uh, being offered uh, optionally online. So you could take uh, uh, online courses or on campus. So moving more towards the online environment has not been uh, made as, as big a challenge for us as it has been for some of the residential uh, colleges, but I, I'm just very uh, uh, proud of our uh, uh, university. Um, we are very involved with uh, the community. Uh, I also uh, made a decision a few months ago uh, to uh, invite the Baltimore City Police Department to have their uh, police academy and education training oh. center on our campus. Now, you can imagine, oh. Judge, it was a little bit of controversy there, but uh, they have been be. in just an awful location uh, in an old rundown uh, middle oh. school. It did not say professional. It did not help with retention. Um, and our police department has been under a federal consent decree for a lot of uh, troubling issues. So I just felt that in view of the fact that we had a great criminal justice program on our, our campus that working with the um, uh, police department and uh, having these uh, young people on our campus would um, help both with recruiting and retention and redound to the benefit of the uh, greater uh, community. Uh, so uh, that's uh, one other aspect of the uh, University of Baltimore that, that kind of makes us uh, unique. So uh, again, I, I, as I tell you, I'm kind of a, a blessed guy in my career, and uh, uh, having this opportunity uh, uh, really is just, uh, just great. It allows me to continue with public service, too. And you acknowledge no luck involved. Isn't that right, Mr. Mayor? I, I, I'm using blessing now. <laughs> <laughs> blessing, blessing. That's, that. okay, well, some progress. So, look, you have perspective. You've been successful. You have, you, you, you understand life. Uh, you were creative. From your perspective, then, what's happening in our country today, Mayor? You know, we've become so polarized. I, I've never seen it like this before. Uh, how should... Do you agree, and how have we gotten here, and, and how can we get away from here in the next two minutes that we have? 
Well, um, you know, I, I guess the the real key is talking to each other, not at each other. I mean, um, uh, recognize that we can have differences of opinion and uh, without, you know, really being um, hostile uh, to one another. Um, well, I, I always give people the analogy of, uh, you know, the, 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 the sports facilities. When, when I go to our uh, our team's game, the football team, the Baltimore Ravens, and I sit in the stadium with uh, people of, you know, men, women, white, black, Asian, I mean, all different colors and uh, different economic uh, groups. I mean, we, we sit elbow to elbow with one another. You know, this is pre-coronavirus, but the, bottom, but the image there is we're all rooting for the same team. We're all uh, there, uh, you know, supporting our, our team regardless of our uh, differences in um, uh, background. And it uh, just reminds us, uh, you know, how much uh, we have in common rather than uh, uh, being, uh, you know, not, not alike. Um, and we all uh, stand up and, and uh, 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 sing the national anthem, and we, uh, you know, uh, pledge allegiance. And uh, so I, I just think that we have to remind ourselves, uh, you know, from time to time uh, that, that we're in this uh, uh, together, and, and hopefully this current um, uh, uh, phase that we're in will be just that, something that we I get know. over and we can get back to uh, focusing on commonalities. Well, I, I certainly hope so. And you used that word. Uh, I'm going to put in a plug that uh, I'm involved with a group called Project Understanding. We have a website, www.project, with the hyphen between pro and ject, understanding. And we have essays focusing on the commonalities of the world's religions. And we have so many things in common, and we should talk with each other with that understanding. But, uh, you know, we, we in my perception, and this is kind of pessimistic, uh, so much polarization is occurring today in our country because I think a lot of people feel that our institutions of government are not working, that the executive is just kind of aiming at his constituents and the legislative is doing that as well. They're bickering with each other. And the courts, a lot of people feel only the wealthy can get justice. And, and so that's going to cause rebellion and it concerns me. Do you have the same perception? We have about 30 seconds left. Well, I, yeah, on that, uh, you know, um, for me, if, if we could do something about reapportionment and so that we don't have districts that are uh, definitely um, uh, going to be, uh, that, that the elected officials are going to be decided by the most extreme, um, I think that will help a, a great deal that we can try to uh, get back to people kind of representing uh, the middle rather than the extremes. Indeed. Well, Mayor, Mr. President, friend, hero, thank you for being with us. It's just been edifying. I'm proud to share your thoughts with our audience, and, and we'll, we'll continue to do that. You've been a guiding light throughout all of your life. Again, no luck involved. Even back at Yale, putting in that child care center. Boy, that just, that just shows the true man here. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for coming on to All Rise, employing the values and the approaches of Mayor Kurt Schmoke. We will all rise together. Let's talk with each other, not at each other. And speaking with each other, let's tune again next week at All Rise. And, and please do so. We'll continue to discuss issues with people like this marvelous man. So thank you, sir. And I, I, I 
sign off on this show like I do with all others saying life is good. Why do I say that? Because it is. We are blessed. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my thoughts that help us control.